Hey y'all, uh, now again, welcome back to the Irish in Sweden podcast with me, Philip O'Connor. Uh, I had hoped to have this episode out a little bit earlier. I tried to get them out on a Monday morning, around about 7 o'clock in the morning, just so that you have something to listen to, something to get your week off to a good start. You might listen to it on a Tuesday, you might listen to it on a Wednesday. That's entirely up to your good self. But I've been trying to get them out uh, around about the same time. Helps the algorithms, all that kind of thing. So did everything last week. Great, great, great interviews. You're going to hear them. And I went to upload the whole thing. I was like, no, no, that, that file's not going to work, Chief. We can't be having that. And then I was into a weekend of work, as many of you will know, I was working with sport and that kind of thing, so I didn't have time to fix everything. But basically, all the uh, other bits roundabout had to be re-recorded, so I'm doing that now on Monday. So it wasn't out this morning, these things happen. So, uh, But it's been one of those weeks, I should have known that that was going to happen, because um, last week on Tuesday... Um, you will have heard in a recent episode that I spoke to Irish scientist Jerry McInerney and we spoke about the importance of vaccines and all that. And because I'm old and decrepit, I was offered the, the booster dose, the third dose of the, uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. And my time came last Tuesday afternoon, took the vaccine, deadly, no problem whatsoever. Went training that night, was doing me jiu-jitsu, rolling around the place, running, everything. Following day, not too bad. Thursday last week, holy smokes. All the symptoms of COVID for about six or seven hours, just, you know, lungs and everything else like that. And then it passed, but it absolutely knocked me out altogether on Thursday. So I kind of missed the working day. So between that and the podcast collapsing, I've been trying to catch up on myself ever since. But um, here's this episode now. And um, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm going to the Winter Olympics in China very soon. So I'm trying to bunker as many things as I can, put together as many episodes as I can, because I don't even know if I'll be allowed to upload them. You know, internet is weird in China. There's, uh, there's no social media. So I really don't know what's going to be happening for the Olympics. Every time before you go to... Um, the games or the World Cup or something like that. You always hear these horror stories. Oh, this won't work and that won't work. And most things usually end up working fine. But it's one of those things that uh, I don't want to leave you with no podcast for the two or three weeks that I'm away. So I'm trying to get them up and upload them in advance. You know, so uh, that's basically what this time is being spent doing. Remember that this is a community supported podcast, and you can support it by swishing a donation to one two three two four two four one six six one two three two four two four one six six. Um, the best way for me is if you can go to patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm and become a monthly subscriber there, right? There's plans from virtually nothing, two euros, five euros, what's that, 20 crowns or just under 20 crowns to 45 crowns-ish a month, right? Um, much less than a lovely pint of Guinness in the lovely Veerstrom's pub, you know? So, like, I... It's always hard to say, oh, well, you get this many podcasts, you get that many podcasts. I always hate tying myself to things like that, right? I try, I'm going to make all these things available for free. So it doesn't matter if you're over here and you're earning, you know, 10, 10 100,000 crowns a month uh, running a data center, or if, you know, you're over here doing a couple of shifts in a pub, right? I want everybody to be able to afford to listen to it. But that means that those who can't afford to pay for it really kind of need to throw a few bob in to keep everything going on, you know? So, and, and then, you know, if you can pay for it at a later date, that's great. So any support is greatly received. And of course, advertising and sponsorship, you can mail Irish and Sweden podcast at gmail.com. And uh, I'd be happy to have a discussion with any uh, company or organization that wants to be part of the pod. Now, an important part of our community here in Sweden is the Swedish Irish Society, which was formed in the late 1940s. I think it was 1949 and has been promoting the links between Sweden and Ireland ever since. Things have been a little bit quiet in the pandemic. There's been a few events. Uh, they hold a very famous crab party. I think it's in October every year, a Christmas party. But the big one really is the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And I think that was, you know, God, um, I can't even remember how long it was going on. But uh, that started a good few years ago. And um, it's one of those things that it's the first introduction that an awful lot of Swedish, Irish people have in Stockholm. That's the way they sort of, uh, they bump into everybody here to begin with. Now, the organisation is doing its best to spread itself around the country, but they're always looking to grow. They're always looking for new members and they're always looking for stewards and volunteers for things like the parade. So this month I have had a chat with board member Sophie Murphy about the Swedish Irish Society and about the work that they do in our community and for our community and their plans for the future. Uh, their plans for the future. And uh, so here she is, Sophie Murphy. Could I just start by asking a little bit about your connection to Ireland? Well, my dad's Irish. So that's the connection there. He uh, came over here in, what was it, early 90s yep. uh, because of my mother. <laughs> so he's been here now for, what is it? Well, I'm 24, so 24 plus years. 
24 plus years he's been over here. He's probably not the only one in that situation. I've been here for 22 years in a very similar situation. What was it like for you growing up in a Swedish-Irish family? Was there a strong Irish influence from your father? Oh, yeah. We, uh, like, I usually joke about the fact that, um, or I usually refer to our home as the little Irish embassy. Because <laughs> when I grew up, I would always ask, like, oh, why can this and this friend do that, but I can't? And my dad always said, because Swedish rule rules don't apply in this household Irish rules do <laughs> was he very strict on you was he oh very strict and you know went to Sunday school in the Catholic church and uh, did the first whole communion thing when my friends didn't have to hmm. uh, so it was a lot of Irish influences in our household and you know we celebrate Christmas on the 25th and not on the 24th mm-hmm. so uh, very strongly influenced by the Irish culture and hmm. like and would there have been a lot of music and a lot of books in your house as well? Uh, I wouldn't say music and books, actually. Or I'd say, like, music, yes, because my dad listens to a lot of, like, old-school British rock. Yep. So a lot of, like, The Police and The Eagles and things like that. Yeah. So, but he wouldn't He wouldn't have had, like, the Kilfenora Cayley band playing on a Sunday or that kind of thing. No, no, that kind of thing. And uh, how was that for you then? Did you, uh, in the area that you grew up in, right, would there have been many people who maybe you had one Swedish parent and one parent from a different country that you could sort of relate to or were you very much on your own? Well, the first years in school, there were maybe like a couple of friends of mine that had foreign parents. But then I actually went to the English school after okay. So there, they actually put all of the Irish kids in one class for some reason. Don't that must have been a disaster, was it? No, a lot of <laughs> great time. So we were three Irish kids in one class. So Brilliant. we all did like the confirmation together and everything. So that was great fun. And then our math teacher was also Irish, and of course we were his favorite students. Of course, yeah. That's that's naturally going to happen. I think there's probably a lot of listeners to this podcast, or hopefully a lot of listeners to this podcast, who are actually working in the international English schools and the various schools with English profiles. So, I mean, I can only think about when I went to, to Irish school in Ireland with 40 Irish lads and we were a fucking car crash, the whole lot of us, you know. Um, how did you get involved in the Swedish-Irish Society? Was this something that you did when you became an adult or was your dad already involved? No, my dad hasn't been involved because he tours a lot because of his what he does for work. Uh, but I think that when you're growing up in a country like it's like some people might say that there aren't that many like cultural differences between Ireland and Sweden, but I would argue that there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that growing up, I've always felt a bit odd in every kind of context, unless I was with the other Irish kids, because you know you have another sense of humor, you have other cultural references. And everything hmm. so i think that i've always had this wish to feel a sense of belonging in some kind of group a community hmm. so that's why i actually um searched for the uh, swedish irish society myself because i was like oh i want to meet other irish people and other kids with the same background as myself hmm. And uh, it's like people have the exact same humor. You have the same references. You've watched the same television shows. Like I never watched the Astrid Lindgren movies growing up because my dad didn't know anything about them. Yeah. So uh, it's like you really enjoy hanging out with kids that have had the same kind of upbringing as yourself. So people who've watched Father Ted and the Late Late Toy exactly. Show and all these things. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it only struck me there, Sophie, over Christmas, right? The difference, we do both. So we celebrate the Christmas, the Swedish Christmas on the 24th and then the Irish Christmas on the 25th. And there's literally no similarities apart from presents, really. I mean, the food is different. The things you watch on the TV are completely different. You know, right. So I can understand uh, how, that, how that would be for you. And did you find those people? I know you had some of them in school, but did you find more of those people then through the Swedish Irish Society? Definitely. Like, the only problem is that I'm by far the youngest one in the society. Yep. So I'm like, if there anybody in their, like, 20s, that's mm-hmm. also, like, half hours, please join the society. We need more uh, young people joining us and, like, helping us out with events and stuff. Uh, but definitely, like, it's so nice to see that there are other people who uh, have the same kind of, like, personality as yourself. Uh, but the only thing is that the cultural uh, like references vary because you're in different age groups. Mm. Don't think. 
I think I've lived here for 22 years. And I think I first came into contact with the Swedish Irish Society, which has been around. When was it founded? Was it 1947? 1949. Okay, so it's been around for a long time. And it's kind of always had that reputation where the older members of the community graduate there, right? And it's it's very cultural. There's things for Bloomsday uh, and that kind of thing. But it's not really, it never really had a reputation as offering something for younger people in the community. So that's what you want to do now. You want to be the sort of the, the, the gatekeeper for younger people and inviting them into it. Am I right in saying that? Exactly, because like it's always been a very family oriented organization and we want to keep it that way because that's great like um people with mm. kids who are mm. around two three four or five years old like you have the halloween party and stuff like that yeah. uh, but we definitely want to rebrand the whole organization and move towards as uh, like targeting the younger audience because there are a lot of Irish people in their 20s coming over here for university and work. And then also like the people who came over in the 90s, they have kids my age now. Yeah. So we really want to rebrand the whole organization so that we have events for like the families and then the Irish people who've been here for like 30 plus years, but also for uh, people like me in their 20s who want to connect more with their heritage, want to connect more with the culture, want to meet people who've had the same upbringing, who have the same humor and everything. So uh, we definitely want to uh, um, rebrand the whole organization so that we have more events uh, for like the younger members of society. And what kind of events would they be? Because traditionally we've had the St. Patrick's Day Parade, obviously around St. Patrick's Day every year. You've had the Halloween party for children, which you named. There was sometimes a Christmas party for children. There's the crab party, which is, I think it's in October, where it's like Irish seafood and was usually held at the Dubliner here in Stockholm. What kind of things are you thinking specifically that are more targeted at young people? That's one of the reasons like why we want um, more people in their 20s to get involved in the society because we need new perspectives and we need new angles. Mm. And so for us to create events for people in my age group, we also need more people in my age group to get involved because uh, it's like I have an idea of the kind of events that we can host, but I don't know if that's actually one uh, what people want. Mm. So the more people that get involved, the more events we can do. So we're thinking about maybe hosting like midsummer events and people in their 20s coming over here and doing their first midsummers. Like we can um, teach them all the songs and how to do the, what what are you called? Flower crowns, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, You weave these flowers together into a sort of a crown that you put in your head, yeah? So we've had a couple of events in mind, like a midsummer's event. And uh, also we're looking to um, cooperate more with like the embassy and any ideas that they have because um, Ambassador Gormley, he's very much for like working with the like younger members of the Irish community as well. Mm. So uh, hopefully we'll have some new events coming up this year. Um, in certainly my time, Sophie, and full disclosure here, I was actually the chairperson of the Swedish Irish Society for a period back about 10, 5, 10 years ago. Um, it was very much a Stockholm-centred organisation. What is there for members who might be working on a data centre up in Luleå or Yavla? Have we any way of reaching out to them just yet? Or is that sort of in the next stage, so to speak? That's kind of in the next stage. I know, I heard from somebody that they had like a GA team up there. No. They do indeed. In both Lulio and Diablo, they have uh, Gaelic football yeah. teams. Yeah. It's like with the Swedish Society, that's kind of part of the uh, vision moving forward that uh, we really need to uh, tie the community together. Like, um, it doesn't matter if you're in Lulio or Yavla or in Stockholm, Gothenburg, you should always be able to like participate in our events. Mm. And we're also, uh, we're always open for new ideas. Like if there's a large group of Irish people up in Lulio, they can have like a, like a sub organization up there. I don't know. Yeah. Sort of a local organization of the Swedish Irish society. Because if you're Irish, you're Irish. It doesn't matter where you are in Sweden. Yeah. And tell me, Sophie, how do people go about joining? It's not like the Freemasons where you have to sort of turn up at a meeting or that kind of thing, right? Membership is open for everyone. 
everyone. So we have like student memberships, we have uh, special memberships for people who are retired, and then we have like family memberships. And then if you're the rest of your family's not interested in signing up, then we you can just join by yourself, like I did. And uh, tell me, your dad has been here now for over twenty, oh, more than twenty-four years, apparently. Right. Has he, since you got involved, has he shown any interest in that, or is he still sort of uh, on the fence a little bit about it? He's warming up to it. The thing is that he's only in Sweden like ten percent of the year. Okay. <laughs> so, what, what does he work with? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, he works with the Formula E. If you know what Formula One is, Formula E is uh, Formula One, but with electrical cars. Yeah. So he tours around the world with uh, Formula E, and he's done uh, Volvo series. Uh, okay. Yeah. So he's always out touring. So I'm like, if he decides to uh, come back and settle down uh, at a company here in Stockholm again, then I'll definitely make sure that he gets involved in this society. And what's your best advice, Sophie, for somebody coming over here? Because you've seen sort of both sides of the fence there. You were describing the Irish Christmas at home, but teaching people the Swedish Midsummer's traditions. For people who are coming over here, maybe they've just sort of signed on with a company up in Lulio just after Christmas and they're trying to find their feet here. Uh, what's the best way for them to sort of settle into Swedish society, do you think? What should they be thinking about when they move over here first? That's a very good question. kind of depends like um, which age category you're thinking about because I think it's very different if you're moving here and you're like late 30s and you might have a Swedish partner versus if you're moving here in your 20s and you true. have a partner you don't have any friends and you're moving over here for university or work or whatever kind of depends on like the age category yeah, I'm, I suppose I'm thinking really about people who are coming over here single, right? Because, you know, for better or worse, those who moved over here and I moved over here to be with my wife. Uh, so we have some sort of a, a way into Swedish society that maybe you don't have if you've just been put in an apartment on the outskirts of Yavla and you're on site every morning at half past six in the morning kind of thing. So I'm kind of thinking of people who have a, no prior connection to Sweden. What would you say to them that they should go looking for? Ooh, I'd say because um, it's like with me being half Irish, half Swedish, I know that Swedes can be very um, like hard to get to know. So if you're coming over here from Ireland and you're trying to befriend Swedes, uh, good luck. Uh, <laughs> it can be, a bit, it can be uh, a bit difficult, but I'd say that the Swedish Irish society is definitely something that they should, uh, or it's like they should definitely join the society because there you can always get in contact with people who are half Swedish, half Irish, who might have... Swedish friends that you can get to know. Uh, I'd say um, join the events because there's always people in the same age category or in other age categories, like age is just a number. So why not befriend somebody in their late fifties? They yeah. might have kids in your age. You don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like I was a great crack with the other board members in SAS, even though they're like 20 years my senior. Yeah. <laughs> This is the thing. I mean, the age gap doesn't make a difference at the end of the day, you know. One of the things, actually, before I forget that I wanted to ask you about is we have a very proud tradition of having a St. Patrick's Day parade here in Stockholm. Uh, it's been disrupted the last couple of years, I believe, by, I think, by the pandemic. Uh, do you have any memories of that? Have you taken part in that before? Yes, that's actually how I was introduced to the Swedish Art Society to begin with, because uh, a friend's mother, he's also half Irish, but his uh, mother... Um, she volunteered for SAS and they needed like stewardess for the parade. Mm -hmm. So she asked her son and myself, and we said yes. So that was, what was that? 2017, I think, 2018 okay. maybe. So that yeah. was a couple of years ago. Uh, but as you say, like the whole thing's been disrupted now for was it two years. So the last parade was in 2019 mm -hmm. and it was, Absolutely amazing. 3,000 attendees, which is absolutely mad. That's incredible. How small the Irish community is here in Sweden. Last time I checked, there are about like 2,500 Irish people living in Sweden, I think. Yep. Who have like either dual man, uh, citizenship or just Irish citizenship. So 3,000 people, like that's a lot. So uh, our plan now this year is to break the record. Super. And it'd be lovely to do that at the end of the pandemic and sort of get everybody to come out of the house again and meet up. And it's a parade through the center of the city here in Stockholm. Is the route decided yet? 
uh, the route has been decided and then we're just waiting for uh, an approval from the uh, police. Yep. So the route will be announced very soon. I'll tell you what, I'd love to see uh, a, a, a St. Patrick's Day parade above in Lulio or in Yavla. If anybody there who's listening is interested, I'm sure if you get in touch with the Swedish Irish Society, they'll tell you how to make all the applications for permits. Um, Sophie, you're always looking for stewards for the parade. How can people get in touch with the Swedish Irish Society, either if they want to become a steward for the parade here in Stockholm or if they want to become members? They can always contact us via either events at swedishirish.com or info at swedishirish.com or um, by our Facebook page. So you can find us at Swedish Irish Society. And then you can also go over to our website, swedishirish.com. Uh, and it's like we're looking for students, we're uh, looking for volunteers, and we're also always happy to get in touch with people who want to sponsor the parade. It's like, we have a lot of costs associated with the parade, of course, because it's a very big event. And we're always glad to talk to anybody who uh, either has contacts or that might be uh, willing to sponsor the parade themselves. Fantastic. So lads and ladies, if you're out there and you own a big business or you're making millions out of data centers, get your wallets open and support it. The parade was actually one of the, the big things for me. I actually met a friend of mine that I went to school with at the parade many, many years ago. Um, I went to junior school with him in Ireland and then he showed up there and he's living on the other side of Stockholm for me. And it was just amazing to see him touring up there. I go, oh, I know that fella. And it was another fella from the north side of Dublin. So it is, it's a brilliant place to meet people. And it's a brilliant place for the Irish community in, in Sweden to show their faces because we don't, uh, we don't show out all that often here in Stockholm. Sophie, thanks very much for talking to me and I'm sure we'll talk again very soon about the Swedish Irish Society. Thank you so much, Phil. There you go. That is Sophie Murphy there from the Swedish Irish Society and do get in touch with them. Uh, and try to get involved and even if they don't exist in your town or whatever and there's a few people in your place or if there's a few people who are interested in Irish culture I mean there's a department out in the university in Uppsala which looks at Celtic studies and that you know try to get involved see what you can do because you know even on a small scale it might be a nice thing for people to gather around I always find it fascinating to talk to people like Sophie um who grew up with one Swedish parent and one Irish parent, and there's all sorts of stories out there. But it's um, it is very unique because even you'll find, you'll, even though you'll find plenty of people with you know immigrant parents or you know one Swedish parent and one from another country, I think our kids have this. Um, a different sort of a shared experience so certain things are the same certain things are very different we live in different areas we go to different schools our parents have different jobs and that kind of thing but there are still things that they share you know this idea of I know my own children and our family we spent one Christmas in Sweden and then the next Christmas would be in Ireland and we alternated and that was just how they grew up so they went from you know the, the, the white Christmases here in Sweden to the chaos of going home to Dublin and running around and meeting everybody and coming back and Patrick's Day parades and, and that kind of thing and a few times a year we all get together in Gaelic football tournament so it is a kind of a unique thing and it's great to see these younger people getting together now and uh, sort of you know taking the baton and and moving it forward so to speak now as you will know we're in the middle of dry january uh, as it is uh, so horribly cold i'm sure for those people who enjoy a couple of points but this week there was some very good news indeed i'm talking today to sir arthur street griebling good griebling sir arthur's fishing technique simply consists of drinking guinness Yes, I uh, just wait here until the sensitive nostrils of the trout detect the cool, slightly bitter charms of the Guinness and, inflamed with desire, leap into this frying pan here. Fascinating. Uh, how long have you been doing this, Sir Arthur? Forty-three years. How many trout have you caught? Up to this moment, uh, none. Ah. But these commemorate some of my near misses. Or to put it another way, away from the misses. <laughs> Careful, Guinness. Oh, I love one, yes, thank you. Well, there's a pub over there about six miles away. For a hard day's fishing, there's nothing like a Guinness. Indeed, all the way back in 1976 there, British comedians Peter Cook and Dudley Moore talking about the joys of Ireland's greatest export, uh, apart from Katie Taylor, of course, which is Guinness. Now, the good news for those of you enjoying, in inverted commas, dry January, is that Guinness Zero has been released in Sweden, right? You may be aware of it, you may not be aware of it. Put very simply, it's alcohol-free Guinness. And to be honest, it's amazing. Now, those of you who know me well will know that I don't drink. 
Uh, I gave up drinking many, many years ago. And But I do enjoy the alcohol-free beers. And when I heard of Guinness Zero a couple of years back, I was going, oh, great, you know, because I haven't tasted a pint of Guinness in many a year. And then it was launched in Ireland and in the UK last year, and the launch kind of fell flat. There was some problem with microorganisms. We might have to get Jerry McInerney back on to explain what that was. But they ended up withdrawing it from sale, and then it came back out again in Ireland and the UK just before Christmas. Now, when I was in Ireland in November, uh, I had it for the first time, and I was just amazed at, at, like, you know, it tasted exactly as I remembered Guinness to taste. Now, I know there's going to be lads out there who say, oh, it doesn't taste the same. So, okay, okay, I get that, right? But it was, I thought it was fabulous. Um, to the extent that um, I, when I went back there with my family then, we were there in November, so I, like, I booked an extra bag, and I took, like, two cases of beer back with me. Unfortunately, one of the cans burst in the bag and destroyed, like, a book and some clothes and that kind of thing. But it was worth it. It was magnificent. I had loads of it over the Christmas. But uh, now, a couple of weeks ago, I got a press release from Carlsberg telling me that Guinness Zero was now available in Sweden. The idea is that it's going to be brought out to the supermarkets uh, and to the system below it in February. So it should be on supermarket shelves starting in January, and then it will make the, the system below it shelves in February. In Ireland, I think they're selling 500 milliliters, so half-liter cans. In Sweden, they're going to sell 440s. A little bit disappointed with that because it's a point we're looking for, fellas and girls but you know beggars can't be choosers in this situation it's going to cost around about 22 crowns a can so it's not cheap right because you can get like you know three bottles of carlsberg's alcohol free beer for 25 crowns at some of the supermarkets if you keep an eye out right but look at you know you've always been prepared to pay a little bit of a premium uh, abroad for Guinness and especially for uh, decent Guinness so and the other great benefit of it that I spotted as I was reading up on it was that it's low calorie now low calorie doesn't mean you can drink 16 and you're still uh, going to be able to go to the gym and sort of you know get uh, get ripped as the boys and girls do say so but it's well worth testing out uh, I don't know if it will make it to you in time for the end of dry January but your jeez, you may as well give it a go keep an eye out for it and uh, give it a try I don't think you'll be disappointed now uh, the whole point of this podcast is that there are so many interesting Irish people with many interesting jobs right here in Sweden but few of them have the lion's share of the responsibility for a budget of 300 million euro in one of Sweden's most strategically important regions. That's the case for Kildare woman Helen Kavanagh-Bailund and she's responsible for running the Sigtuna municipality which many in our community will have visited if only to transit through Arlanda airport. Her work is as varied as it is fascinating so I decided to catch up with her last week to get the lowdown on what it's like to be a public servant with that kind of response responsibility here in Sweden. Um, Helen, I, I didn't even know what to call you. Is it Helen or Helene? Do the Swedes call you Helene here? Yeah, they do. They always get my name wrong, but it's Helen. So I'm constantly going around correcting people. Yeah. There, there you go. Well, they've been calling me Philip for 22 years now, and I've just I've given <laughs> up on it. Um, Helen, you're in one of the most strategically important municipalities in Sweden because of Arlanda Airport there. Could you just tell me about your job there as one of the, the directors out there? Yeah, I'm the deputy chief executive, it's called, uh, of the municipality. And it's Sigtuna. We have about 50,000 people living out here. Fairly big municipality just on the outskirts of Stockholm. And most people will have been to Sigtuna because they've been to Orlando, even though maybe you don't think about it when you mm. arrive in Orlando. But if you think about it the next time, if you walk through, you can see a lot of signs there around for Sigtuna. There's maps of Sigtuna and stuff like that. But most people don't think of it. Mm. Uh, how did you end up there, if you don't mind me asking? I'm a civil servant originally, and I worked for a long time in the Department of Foreign Affairs. And then uh, as part of that job, I ended up working at the Irish Embassy in Sweden. And then as it is with a lot of us out here, I think I ended up meeting a nice Swedish man. There you go. Uh, and uh, I convinced him to move back to Ireland with me. And uh, we did that for a few years. And I convinced him to move to China with me when I got sent to the Irish Embassy in China. And then at a certain point, we said, right, we'll move back to Sweden. And uh, I'm still here, basically. And when did you move back to Sweden, the two of you? Uh, we moved back uh, 2006, it was. Yeah. And did, so, you, yeah. did you speak the language and all that by the time you moved back here? Or had you started to learn or any of that kind of thing? 
Not, I mean, not that well. I was lucky enough because when you get sent away with the Department of Foreign Affairs to an embassy, they actually teach you a bit of the language in Dublin before you come out. So I had done a bit of that and I had learned a little bit about Swedish traditions and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had done a bit of Swedish uh, when I worked at the embassy, but my Swedish wasn't the best, I suppose, at that time. Um, mm-hmm. But it's improved since then. And now I work in Swedish. That was the question I was going to ask, right? Because this is not seven points in the Dublin or downtown, right? So the kind of Swedish you're going to be using in your role as deputy chief executive there is a bit more advanced. How do you find that now? Do you think it's, it works for you? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I always thought, you know, when you go over to start dreaming in another language, that's when you really are uh, bilingual. And I started doing that. And I also find if I have to talk to people at home about what I do at work, I find it very hard to know what the words are in English because mm. <laughs> there's a lot of that Swedish kind of vocabulary. Well, it's very Swedish and I don't automatically, you know, translate it in my head, I suppose. Um, yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing. So, I think in the, in the beginning, you tend to translate everything from Swedish to English in your head and then from English to Swedish and then you say something. But gradually yeah. that point disappears and you just end up using one or the other, you know. So I think that's that's definitely the point where you've achieved fluency. How did the, the job, is that a political job? Did you have to get elected to that job or were you appointed to the role as deputy chief executive? No, it's not a political job. So it's I'm a civil servant, basically. So technically, I should be in my role, no matter what happens, for example, in the election later this year. But mm. at the same time, when you work at that level, you become very closely associated with the politicians. Um, but no, I'm a civil servant the same way as you'd be a civil servant at home. And then there's an elected politician though, then um, who is my boss, basically. Mm. So be like the city manager in Dublin County Council or that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Or I, I usually say to my parents, it's like the county manager type of a job. Yeah. And then you have a, there's a politician, a group of politicians and a committee or whatever it is who run the place. And we have a mayor in Sigtuna, so he's in charge of Sigtuna. And what does the day-to-day work uh, look like for you guys? What, what do you, what do you cover out there? What services do you provide to citizens? Well, as you probably know, Sweden is very decentralized. So the municipalities provide a lot of the services that at home the government departments provide. Mm. So we provide all the schools, for example. So schools, preschools, primary schools and secondary schools, old folks homes, all the social welfare, uh, SFE, which maybe a lot of people have done Swedish as a foreign language. We do that, too as well as, you know, um, we run, are running the election now that's coming up, for example. We work with uh, safety and security. Um, we run the local swimming pools, libraries, all the sports fields, all that kind of stuff, uh, as well as also we have, have a couple of companies, so we do all the refuse collection, water, all that kind of thing. Uh, so it's quite big. I mean, a Swedish, our municipality, we have a budget of, three billion Swedish kroner, which is quite a lot if mm. you compare it to a you know the equivalent of a county council or whatever in Ireland. That's about 300 million euro or so, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, does that mm. keep you awake at night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I tell you during the pandemic it has done because when we're responsible for old folks homes, obviously that's been mm. a massive crisis. Uh, plus trying to keep keep schools open and trying to look after we have 3000 people working in the municipality who work for us you know and mm. trying to make sure people can get to work and do their job in a safe way and provide services you know throughout the pandemic that's uh, that's that keeps us awake at night you can say we have enough to do anyway that's for sure Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a very sort of varied municipality as well because you have Sigtuna where the whole thing is sort of based, if you like, is a very sort of, you know, I think it was the original capital city in this country back, you know, hundreds if not thousands of years ago. And then you have Mashta, which is close by. You have Rusas Bay. You have an area called Valsta there, which is uh, to be a lot of immigrant people from, in particular from Syria, if I remember rightly, living there. What's it like working there? Uh, you know, I think Sigtuna is quite a wealthy town as well, isn't it? Or certainly you're, that part of it. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a very varied municipality, so it's super interesting working in it because, like you say, we also have, uh, in addition to everything you said, we also have quite a big uh, rural uh, element in Sigtuna, mm-hmm. and that's partly because of the airport, because you're not allowed to build around the airport. So there's huge rural areas as well. And then Valst, as you mentioned, that's on the police's list of vulnerable areas because there's quite a lot of crime and criminality. So we have 
that. And then we have Sigtuna town, which is a thousand years old, Sweden's first town, and uh, has a totally different profile. Um, so it's very, very interesting. Plus, we're in this area between Stockholm and Uppsala as well, which is one of Europe's fastest growing areas. Um mm with the airport and the train lines and also the motorway going up and down. So in, in your role, how much do you have to get involved in the lunch deliveries to school at a granular level or at the staffing in the old folks' homes? And how much is sort of strategic planning for that future of the, this region between Stockholm and Uppsala? Yeah, I would say I'm not involved in the details at all. So we have 140 managers who manage the whole organization and they all do a great job, you know, delivering the school lunches and uh, whatever it might be. So I'm one of those office boards, you know, I sit in the municipal head office and sit mostly in a lot of meetings and a lot of digital meetings these days and work a lot with strategy and trying to change and develop. So trying to make Sigtuna a more attractive municipality. That's our vision. We want to be the most attractive municipality in Sweden uh, to live and work in uh, by 2030. So I spend a lot of time on those kind of things. How important is Arlanda Airport? Like a full disclosure, I actually lived in Mashta for a little while when I moved over here first before I moved to where I live in Shista. And it seemed like back at that time, if you took the airport away, there'd be nothing left. <laughs> everybody worked there. <laughs> everybody who didn't work there was dependent on people who did work there, spending their money in their restaurants or bars. Huh? How important is it to you in the municipality to have it there and to keep it there? Oh, it's hugely important. So it's the biggest employer in Sweden, uh, the airport, you know, so it's huge. And it's the reason, in fact, that Marstan Valsta actually exists is because of the airport, because um, the people who work at the airport need a place to live. And it's not just, you know, people might think about pilots and air hostesses and so on, but there are masses of jobs at the airport, logistics jobs, people who pack all the catering for flights and stuff like that. So it's hugely important. And we've been very badly affected, of course, by the pandemic. So mm. Sigtuna has been one of those municipalities in Sweden that's done very badly in terms of unemployment um, with the pandemic. We've an awful lot of hotels and conference centers, plus the whole airport. Uh, but also it's very interesting for Sig to know what happens now with Bromma. You know, you probably know the government are looking at closing down Bromma Airport and that'll mm -hmm. open up new opportunities for all those flights move to Orlando. That'll be very good for Sig to Bromma, of course, is not. It's just on the north side of the city here, and it's one of those political footballs that's been knocked around for the last twenty years. Going, oh, we have to close <laughs> it, but it's really convenient for people who live in Kungsholmen and Ustalam mm. and that kind of thing. So they go, no, we have to keep it open, you know. So, but I think eventually <laughs> they keep saying it is going to close. But have you any prognosis for when that might happen? No, as you say, it's a super political issue, so I really don't want to get into it. But I, what I would say is it's just as handy to get to Orlando. So if you take the Orlando Express from Stockholm Central, that's only 20 minutes, you know. Mm. And it's going to take you more than that to get to Bromme in a taxi. Um, but yeah. I get my little plug in there for Orlando, you know. There you go. I have to say, Fleet Bussana, well, I used to love Fleet Bussana. Now, they changed their timetable since the pandemic, but they used to go from pretty much the bottom of my street here in Shista straight up to the airport in about 20, 25 minutes, you know, so. Uh, mm -hmm. um, how have you found it in terms of, like, how involved are you guys then of what happens at the airport? You know, this thing of, we would have had Irish people coming through there, you know, having to have two, three hours to get on flights and that kind of thing. You know, do you guys, are you involved in the health and safety issues at the airport at all? Or is that strictly Swedavia? Yeah, no, we work with them an awful lot. I mean, it's Swedovia who run the airport, but we work with them on a lot of areas. So, for example, our health and safety uh, in the municipality, we're responsible for health and safety out there. So we do inspections on the restaurants and stuff like that out there. Yeah. Plus, if you have these international crises, say, and a lot of refugees arrive in the airport from different places and they've nowhere to go and so on, then our social welfare systems kick in because the airport happens to be in our municipality. So I'd say we work, you know, mostly at Swedovia, but certainly we're very involved and we have a lot of exercises and stuff like that with the airport. So in terms of crisis management, let's say if an airplane crashed or something like that around the airport or anything like that happened, then we'd be very involved. So we work with them a lot on that too. Um, you mentioned the issue of refugees coming because of the fact that it's your municipality where the airport is. How does that system work if somebody turns up at the airport and is looking for refugee status or asylum status? How does that work technically? Do they get sort of put up in a local hotel? Do you have somewhere to send them from the airport? 
No, the uh, Migrationsverket, so the Migration Authority, they would look after them. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's outside yeah. your remit. You don't really have to get involved unless it's a huge amount of people all arriving. At no, once. and if it's a crisis and there's a lot of people arriving. So uh, I'm trying to remember when the last thing was. Was it 2015? Um, yeah, in 2015 we're involved, but also, no, there was something quite recently now and I can't remember. Yeah, we would be involved in providing emergency help to people if Migrationsverket can't manage it or whatever. But we don't, we're not responsible for, you know, the long term placement of groups of people who come in through the airport. It's more the immediate thing with food and maybe if people need help from psychologists or whatever it might be, we'd help with that kind of thing. How do you think um, you, what's the relationship like between local authorities like yours and the more centralized authorities like Migrationsverket? Do you have a good relationship with them or is it that thing of, you know, uh, now all these boys coming down from Dublin telling us what to do kind of thing? No, I'd say, I mean, we have a good relationship with them, but there's often, there's quite a lot of friction there, you know, uh, mm. because it can be a little bit of past the parcel situation you know, when there are issues that no one really wants to have to deal with. And then that lands in the municipality because we're responsible, according to the law, for everything that happens in our geographic area. So yeah. if there's something going on and no one else wants to deal with it, it ends up being our responsibility. Yeah. Uh, so I say we work a lot with all the other authorities, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not always, uh, it's not always easy. <laughs> and how does that work with things like healthcare? Do you get sort of dumped with their problems as well? Do you have a responsibility for that as well no we don't i mean it's the region that does the healthcare. but if you look at now vaccination let's say and the regions are trying to push the vaccination uh, and get the vaccination rates up then they need help from us yeah. so then we for example let them have one of our sports halls to set up a vaccination center we help trying to communicate with the people who live here go and get vaccinated do campaigns for them help them when they want to have a vaccination bus out all that kind of stuff so a lot of areas where actually it's someone else's responsibility, we end up kind of being involved, you know, because mm. we want to have a good outcome for the people who live in Sigtuna. And you're happy to sort of, for you to, you'll do your best to try to facilitate them, you know, for the greater good kind of thing. Yeah, we would definitely. So in that case with the vaccinations, I mean, we take someone who usually works with something else and then they work part-time helping to get the vaccinations up because that's such a major priority, both mm. for us and for the whole country. I've seen when I was Googling just before talking to you, you know, over the last couple of weeks since we said we were going to do this interview, I've seen a word, the word sustainability uh, crops up an awful lot in press releases and in news stories around uh, Sigtuna and Mashed. And, and, and is that something that you are very much focused on as a local municipality now? We are, yeah. And that's in my in my portfolio as well, sustainability. And it's both the environmental side, but I would say in particular the whole issue of social sustainability and how we manage issues around segregation in Sigtuna, where, as you said, we have some areas of the municipality where we have very high income, for example, and very high levels of education and other areas with um, maybe 60 or 70 percent of the population coming from countries outside the EU, maybe with lower um, education levels and higher unemployment. So we work a lot with the social sustainability side. And that's something I'm very active in myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, how do you sort of integrate those people? How do you create some bridges between those people who maybe have lower incomes coming from outside the EU with the more sort of uh, the the let me see, those people with greater resources, shall we say, that live in Sigtuna? Well, I suppose it's about, I mean, I don't really like the word integration because for me, as a foreigner as well myself, it means that somehow I have to integrate myself into something else. But it's about, I think, trying to help people to make a better life for themselves. And Mm. if you look at research and so on, you can see that that's about uh, learning good Swedish and it's about getting a job and getting an education. So those are the things that we work on because we are responsible for SFE. So the Swedish teaching, we're responsible for the education system. And there's loads that we offer in terms of getting people into the labor market. So we try and focus on those type of things, I think, so that um, people can help themselves, you know, Mm. especially children. You know, it's very important that uh, children get the right conditions to be able to do all those things, you know, when they grow up. And if we're responsible for preschools and schools, there's a lot that you can do there. Absolutely. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge you're going to face there over the next sort of three to five years? 
I'd say one is, and it's the same for all the municipalities, it's uh, money, you know. Uh, We levy local taxes, so every uh, hundred kroner that someone who lives in our municipality earns, they give us 20 kroner, you know, to run the local services. And those are getting more and more expensive. And that's the problem we have with all the other municipalities. So trying to have a... um, what do you say? And that's where I, my, I forget this, we, the English for that, but we would need a balanced budget. Mm. Um, that's one. And I'd say two is the, this whole issue of social sustainability, segregation, and also um, safety and crime and so on. That's a major issue for people who live in Sigtuna and something we're really working on. Um, will a lot change? You mentioned that there's an election coming up in September. So the local elections and the national general election both happen on the same day, the first Sunday in September. Um, will a lot change if the government, if your local government changes, do you think? Yeah, I think it probably will. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the the nature of the, the political system. I would say probably in terms of the major priorities, uh, there's a certain amount of uh, similarity, but in terms of what the solutions to those issues are, you know, it's quite a big difference, I'd say, between the parties. And that's how it should be, you know. So we're already seeing now in local media a fairly lively debate uh, between the different sides on different issues, you know. And that's good because that gets people to go out and vote as well, because that's an issue to get people in the local areas to vote. Who's in power out there at the moment? Well, we have at the moment, it's a coalition between uh, Moderatana um, and four other parties. So the Centre Party, the Liberals and the uh, Christdemokratana and then one local party. So a little bit that it was called Alliance and Enrik Stantidia in the National Parliament. Um, That's right. Yeah. They had this they're running Sigtuna. They had this thing called the Alliance previously, and then yes. uh, Moderatana would be sort of the Conservative Party with a, I suppose, a small mm-hmm. C. It wouldn't be as conservative as many parties, but that sort of centre-right block that ruled for eight years, you know. Um, do you yeah. now? Obviously, you can't make any. Uh, no, I'm not even going to ask the question if you think there's going to be a shift because that wouldn't be fair to you. Um, but again, just getting back then to um this idea of sustainability, one of the things I found most fascinating. I paid a visit out there a couple of years ago during the summer to a place called Midgord's Bodet. Um. Mm-hmm which is basically an outdoor swimming pool, but it's a very, very innovative place. Can you just tell us a little bit about uh, how that swimming pool works and how the water is cleaned there? Yeah, it's a fantastic pool, and it's the first outdoor pool in Scandinavia that has what they call biological cleaning systems. So there's a carbon filter to clean the water. There's no chlorine or anything like that, so that it's not damaging any wildlife, it's not damaging the groundwater and so on. So it's an absolutely fantastic pool. And it's more in the style of a kind of uh, adventure swimming pool, I would say. So anyone is interested on a hot day to nip out to Mashta, it's a beautiful place to go, you know. It really is fantastic. And there's all these microorganisms that are used to clean the water and that kind of thing. It's, it's incredible, you know. And it's, mm-hmm. as I said, we used to live out there, but we would often nip out there the 15, 20 minutes up the road from Sheesta in the car. So it's, uh, it's well worth a visit. And um, where are you from back home, Helen? I'm from Newbridge in County Kildare originally. There you go. And where do you see your future? Is it in Newbridge, just outside of Dublin, or is it in Sigtuna, just outside of Stockholm? I think it's in Sigtuna, just outside Stockholm. I've uh, I've made my peace with it. You know, I miss Ireland and I go there as much as I can. Uh, listen to RT radio the whole time, but I've made my peace with Sigtuna. Uh, so I think I'll be here for the foreseeable future anyway. And you sound happy enough with that decision, are you? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, I am. Yeah, I can see myself growing old here in Sweden, to be honest with you, when I think about it. There you go. As long as you're providing the services for yourself, you won't be too badly off, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you they're a good old folks home. So I know that from the inside. So I think it's quite a good place to grow old in. I, I'll take your word for it. I'm not looking forward to trying them out, but I suppose I'll have to do it someday. <laughs> Helen, thanks very much for talking to me. Lovely to talk to you, Phil. No, that was Helen there. Uh, I, I honestly don't think that I would switch jobs with her for all the money in the world. I think my head would just be fried by that level of responsibility. But uh, an amazing woman altogether. And I hope to pay a visit to her, maybe hang out with her a little bit and uh, follow her around Sigtoon and watch what she's doing someday. Maybe someday when she goes to the airport or whatever. 
uh, that might be worth doing. We're coming to the end of this week's show. Um, again, remember this is a community podcast, so if you're going to, if you can support it, please do. You'll find all the details on Facebook and on LinkedIn, the Swish and there's Patreon and all those things. Go do that. But there's one thing, kind of save the worst for last this week, lads and ladies. There's one thing that I want to bring up with you. So. Over the weekend in uh, Aarhus in Denmark, um, local people there and police were continuing to search for an Irish man named Peter Burns. Okay, Peter went missing on the first weekend of December. Um, as often happens, he was out with some people that he worked with in the catering industry. They went for a few drinks. Uh, Peter went to go home and he hasn't been seen since. Now, some of you I know have been to Aarhus. Some of you have worked on projects there before. So you'll know that in the centre of Aarhus there, where there's a lot of bars and restaurants, there's also a lot of water. There's no fences. There's no barriers to coming towards that water. And it's something that's happened here in Stockholm, it's something that happens here in Sweden, that water is a great danger, especially in the winter time, where if you fall in, uh, you're going to go into shock and it's going to be very, very difficult to get back out again. You know, you might have a big jacket on. When Peter went missing, he had a rucksack with him. Uh, he worked as a chef, so he would have had his tools and his clothes in there as well, you know. So um, I'm really hoping that I've been in touch with Peter's family and I've tried to publicise the searches and tried to publicise the fact that he's missing. We've been in touch with hospitals in the south of Sweden, trying to see if maybe he showed up there, you know, and it's just, it's it's so hard for his family and it's such a tragic loss uh, not to know where the young man is, uh, if he's dead or alive. And, you know, the, the police in Denmark have told him that the, the, the greatest likelihood is that the chap may have drowned down there. So what this really is, is a plea to you all that when you go out for a few drinks or when you're out together for a few drinks, just be careful, okay? The water's beautiful. The water's beautiful here in Stockholm. When you're, you know, in Gamla Stan and the, the, like, the lights of Söder are glistening on the water and, you know, the same thing in areas of Malmö as well, down by the central station and, you know, there's all these beautiful places around us, you know, but just keep your distance, okay? D don't go looking into it. Don't go, you know, don't go near it, you know, if you can. We need to be really, really careful because it has happened here in Stockholm on occasion. I can remember one search for a missing person in Otterbro many years ago the same kind of thing you know so basically the alcohol and the water don't mix you know so i think you know the the end message of every podcast so far has always been to look after yourselves and to look after everybody around you but just it's worth thinking that little bit extra uh with at this time of the year and we send our thoughts and, and our prayers to the family of peter burns and we hope that whatever happens that that peter is found hopefully alive and well soon but if not that the family can somehow get closure uh, i know it's a little bit of a sort of a a negative or a bit of a downer note to finish the podcast on but it's one of those important things that I feel that we really have to be aware of there's a lot to look forward to in this life uh, the days are getting longer imperceptibly almost here in Scandinavia but it's going to get better and better we'll be out in the football fields again soon we'll be able to meet up again soon and there'll be another podcast coming your way hopefully next Monday morning at 7 o'clock if the gremlins don't get at me again but uh, in the meantime take care of yourselves take care of one another if there's anything you need if you know just reach out uh, try to build this community try to share the podcast with people that you think might have a use for it now during the working day or when they're going to the gym or you know if you're collecting the kids from Doggis or whatever you're doing you're sitting in the car maybe making the drive from Yavlet to Stockholm get it on there get listened to it get involved in it give me your suggestions of people you want me to talk to because as I say every Monday at about 7 o'clock in the morning I'm going to try to drop a new episode for you as long as you want it and we can make it viable we'll keep this thing going but you're listening go on for now and uh, I'll talk to you again next week take care <laughs>